Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Save up to $450 on a Gibson Les Paul Studio Deluxe, up to $900 on a Gibson Les Paul Trad Pro 4, or save up to 20% on other select Gibson guitars. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. Hi, I'm Paul. Verizon has been placing giant letters all over the country to get people to buy into their unlimited plan. Don't get hooked. Switch to Sprint Unlimited, $22.50 per month per line for four lines and get the fifth line free. Hurry to your local Sprint store, visit Sprint.com slash unlimited or call 1-800-SPRINT-1 today. Savings until 1031.18 per line per month for five lines with auto pay. Excludes taxes, surcharges, roaming, streams, retail, KHC 1080p, music to 1.5 megabits per second, gaming up to 8 megabits per second, subject to credit, $30 activation fee, prohibited network use rules and data deprioritization apply compared to Verizon Beyond Unlimited. Carry features differ, coverage and offer not everywhere. Restrictions apply. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Locked on Cavaliers podcast. As always, I'm Chris Manning, your host from Fear the Sword and the Step Back. Joining me today is a member of Team Chris, hashtag Team Chris in the Step Back Slack channel, and a writer for CBS Sports, Chris Barnwell. Chris, what's going on? Not much. How about you? Not much, man. So Cavs last night, when they're up 3-0 on the Raptors, they win 115-94. to LeBron James, um, another pretty great performance from from LeBron, no Kyle Lowry for Toronto. The Raptors were up three at the half. Um, it was a close game heading into the fourth. DeMar Rosen sits to start the fourth, and it all goes downhill for Toronto from there. Uh, and after the game, their comments were like, yeah, we can't get swept. Like, they sort of feel like they know that this is over. The Cavs are dominating this series, I think, in almost every way. And, and I, I, I'm having a very hard time, it's sort of like the Pacers series, coming up with, like, these big descriptive things to say about the Cavs because I don't feel like I'm learning big things about this team right now i agree because uh, i don't know if like this is a flipped switch or a just the status quo at like, this they're, point they're, i feel they're like they're like flipping the switch i almost think it's like they're flipping the switch but it's like a very slow flip like it's they're like they're in slow-mo and they're just like slowly like ramping it up and ramping it up and ramping they're it like up. a train that's slowly trying to get going right right I feel like we're learning more about the teams they're playing. Like we kind of learned about Indiana that about Indiana. We kind of learned that, okay, they might not have been as bad as we thought they were, but they definitely weren't as good as some people thought they were. Like they were just the painfully average team. And I feel like with Toronto, we're learning that they just <laughs> like, how many years now is this in a row that we've learned that their offense just doesn't translate into the playoffs? Right. I mean, and, and it's even, some of that I like. I, I don't want to like totally like crap on them because DeRozan was like really good. <laughs> like he was really good for most of that game. Like had a really great game. Um, but the Cavs are just very willing to like let a lot of certain people shoot. Like Norman Powell took 19 shots last night, and like of course you're gonna have guys shoot more when there's no Kyle Lowry who's just so important for them. Uh, not playing because that ankle injury, but Abaka like not shooting all that well hasn't made a difference. Isn't hitting threes. Corey Joseph is 0-4 from 3. He's 2-12 from the field last night. Powell was 6-19. and 
Valanciunas's points just feel very empty, and they got nothing from their bench. Like, this is the Raptors, and and it sucks. Like, this is probably putting a big referendum on them. Um, Harsh Dave, Dev Patel wrote a really great piece about the Raptors over at Raptors HQ about this just kind of them Raptors fans accepting their fate. Um, William Liu wrote a, a piece on Medium about this as well after Game Two. Like, <laughs> this is just kind of the Raptors, and it's almost. The Cavs, I think the biggest thing is that we learned is that the Cavs last year came into Game 3 sort of flat, and this year they were kind of toying around for the first, you know, three quarters, and then LeBron was just unreal in the fourth. I think 15 points in the fourth. Uh, Going back to what you said about Ibaka, I actually disagree. I think he's actually had an impact on the series. I just think that the fact that he's arguably been Toronto's best player throughout the entire playoffs is not a good thing for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, gonna push, I mean, I'm gonna push back on him making an impact on the series because game two, he was very gun shy in shooting. Like, was not very willing to take open shots the Cavs were giving him. And if you're six of fourteen, not making threes, and you're not like, he's he didn't do anything to Kevin Love in game three that actually mattered. And I think like he maybe did in game three, but he's like not making these the kind of impact I think people maybe thought Ibaka could in the defensive end. And that's sort of where I I, I don't think he's mattered. Like I don't like. I have a hard time saying that anything that Toronto's doing has actually mattered when they're just kind of getting destroyed at every turn. My thing with Ibaka is defensively, he's kind of been this for a while now. Ever since that injury he had I mean, in yeah, Oklahoma City, like he's he's not a terrible defender. Like he can still provide help. He's still like a decent defender, but he's not this guy that can kind of just anchor your entire defense anymore, especially especially when he's out there with Valanciunas, which that lineup has not worked at all this season. Like, it just hasn't worked, and they keep running it out there for some reason. They keep playing together, and that's really not benefiting either of them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think um, I feel like I think DeRozan last night was very aggressive how he needed to be. He missed some shots late, kind of took those DeRozan-y just kind of barreling, hoping to get. I think he was forcing shots. it because he knew it was a. Uh, well, he, he knew I they mean, were losing. No but that's like what you'd, I'd want DeRozan to do. One of the things I said after game, after game two, was that if you look at that box score, Lowry and DeRozan took fewer shots in that game than Valanciunas, than Ibaka, than Corey Joseph. Um, like, you can't if you're gonna if Toronto was gonna beat the Cavs, that's not how you beat how they as a team were gonna beat the Cavs. Like they needed those two guys, the engines of their team, to actually do stuff. Like, they need to be, like, they just, and they just, like, haven't. Like, DeRozan played the best game he's played all series last night. Got the line 13 times. Got J.R. Smith in foul trouble. Um, some of it because J.R., I think, was maybe trying to poke the ball loose a little bit more than he did in the first two games. But Cooked Shumpert. Absolutely like, cooked him. Yeah, Shumpert had, like, his, <laughs> just, like, it made Shumpert kind of look like a regular season among Shumpert to an extent. Um, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get Richard Jefferson kind of hopping out there a little bit onto, onto Rosen at times because of, because of the size. And I thought maybe that would have been uh, something the Cavs could have done, but it didn't matter. Like none of that mattered. Yeah. I was also surprised that they didn't switch LeBron onto him or I guess they were content with him, letting him use, use all of his energy on offense, which paid off in a big way with, if you look at his stat line, but I was really surprised that they were kind of like just, they were kind of like just happy letting DeRozan do what he did as long as they shut down guys like Ibaka, didn't let Norman Powell really have an impact, and really Corey Joseph, who tried to step up defensively, he did all right, but offensively was just a total train wreck. Yeah, he defended the hell out of Kyrie for most of this game. Like, did a really, really nice job hounding Kyrie, making Kyrie's life really hard. Something I think teams, all, all playoffs through six games, uh, or seven games, excuse me, have done. 
I think you've seen teams like really try to make Kyrie work for stuff more than they might have in past years or in the regular. They're season. not going to just let him pull up from like they're not just going to give him room to pull up from three. They're going to force him to dribble around. Right, and like he can make those uh, like off the dribble threes. He had that amazing third quarter, but like this is I think been an adjustment for Kyrie. Um, and he didn't quite have his. I mean, he he had the. I wrote about this in Free This Road. He had the first two games of the series. I thought he did a really nice job of not of kind of taking more of what the defense was going to give him. He was using his dribbling and his and his ability as a one on one guy to carve out space for others and just find open guys where he otherwise might have forced it. I thought he would, did a little less of that in game three. Like he was hunting for shots a bit more. Um, the one of five from three he only had four assists after having double digit assist games in games one and two. Like I thought he did a really really nice job in those first two games and and it wasn't as much so in game three but that like for me if you look at how the Cavs played last night Chumpert and Jr. didn't maybe have ideal nights but Jr. still shot well still I thought like made an impact in the minutes he was on the floor Tristan had an up and down game a little bit but uh Kevin Love had a, a pretty solid double double uh Kyrie was really kind of the only guy that I felt like kind of had some iffy moments in that game it's funny like if you were to take out LeBron's box score just to, like get rid of it you'd think that this was a relatively close game for the most part or maybe even a Raptors blowout, but then you throw in LeBron's like numbers, and you're like, oh, this wasn't close at all, especially in the fourth quarter, because really it was a for the most part closeish game, even though it never really felt like it was one of those weird games where Toronto was in it, but you never just had this feeling that they were actually going to win because you're always like, well, when LeBron starts doing what he does, like it's just not going to happen. Yeah, to quote Kyle Lowry, LeBron is playing like LeBron. <laughs> like he's after game two he got asked about lebron's like lebron is playing like lebron and i was just like that, that that's really great kyle that's like actually accurate um let's talk about lebron for a second he had this quote uh from joe varden of cleveland.com last night that he said and i wrote about this through the sword you can go read a bunch of his quotes over there but he wrote seriously he wrote said seriously what else would i have to prove i've won championships i won my first one and i've won for my teammates i came home and won there isn't anything left i have to prove now, for those people out there that are thinking, oh, like LeBron's thinking about retirement, he's really he's thinking he, the way he's saying this in context is he doesn't care what how people are going to view him. I think he's said something like this in the past. Like this isn't um, necessarily a, a fully new thing from LeBron, um, but he's saying I have my own passion, I have my own desire, I just want to be great at this. And I don't really care what anybody else thinks. I that to me with the way he's played, he's I think he's been the best player in the playoffs so far. Um, I think he's been dominant against the Raptors. No team so far has really had an answer for him, especially on offense. I, I like we're seeing like a very good LeBron postseason in the context of it's his tenth straight, fourteenth. Uh, like how long he's been in the league, it's kind of crazy. Andrew Lynch over at uh, Fox Sports wrote an article about how this honestly might be LeBron's best postseason ever of his yeah, entire like it career. It really might be, and it's, it leads to this like question of. The Cavs, I think, I mean, I'm like a lot of people that are smarter than me about basketball um, have been maybe said the Raptors are going to take them to seven. That and I picked the you know I picked the Cavs in six. That the, like LeBron's minutes are going to catch up to him and like everything that like negative about the cat like the Cavs and mostly be, it's because of how LeBron's played. It just feels like it doesn't matter yet, and we might I think we might get back to this like full circle moment. Where they run through the East, like they may, they're gonna like smack Boston around in four games, like that's probably gonna happen, and then they're gonna get to the finals and they're gonna play the Warriors, and like the Warriors are just gonna be too much for them. They're gonna win that in like five games, and we're just gonna get like this full circle. The Cavs were kind of just ended up being what we thought they were, 
um, and maybe it goes six. Maybe they pull an upset, but that would sort of be a crazy LeBron accomplishment if they could win that. But it's almost just like we're going to get to the point where we didn't actually learn anything about the Cavs all year. And this is where I could put on my best radio voice and say, LeBron saying he has nothing left to prove. It's just him prepping his excuses for when he loses to the Warriors because he knows this team isn't ready. <laughs> uh, get, yeah, you gotta. You're ready. You're ready for that. Uh, that TV money. That TV money. Barnwell, I'm that so TV, ready. You got that CBS get money. <laughs> yeah, get Barnwell. Get Barnwell a, a radio show in, in Concord. Get R- me that R- radio R- show. Yeah, R.I.P. Radio Ethan. Uh, shout out to Radio Ethan. But I, I, I don't know. But like, in, in reality, uh, this. in reality, if you want to really actually talk about LeBron needing anything to prove, it's kind of reminiscent to uh, when Wilt Chamberlain got old. He used to be able to, like, just – he would spend entire seasons just proving people that he can do things. One year he led the league in assists. I think he led the league in assists or he was, like, the top big man assist getter or something like that. Just to prove a point that, yes, he could still pa- – he could pass and create offense if he wanted to. And there were games – he would have entire games where he would just do nothing but rebound to prove a point or nothing but score to prove a point. And LeBron doesn't necessarily do that because Cleveland relies on him too much. But he has a little bit, bit of that to his game at this point of his career where, like, this year he's like, oh, people think I can't still average a career-high rebounds and assists? Well, let me go ahead and do that this season, and I'll compete for the MVP. Oh, people think I can't go to my left hand twice on the spinning move? Sure, I'll do that. I'm, by the so, way, I'm so a dis- So disrespectful. Like, so disrespectful. So massively disrespectful. It was funny. He didn't spin the ball in his hands this time. He just, like, did the Larry Bird, oh, I'm going to shoot with my left. Yeah. Yeah, Larry Bird did that for like a whole game way back. Oh, shot for an entire game with his left hand. Yeah. Like, it's reminiscent to these old superstars when they got older. They started doing things like, it's not boredom. It's just like, they they say they don't hear what what everyone's saying about them, but they totally hear it. And they go out there to kind of just be like, no, that's not true. I can still do this. Yeah. Um, And I think, too, like LeBron... There's like this scrutiny on LeBron because of how because of who he is that I, it's like really interesting because the minutes thing I think matters right like I think LeBron's minutes are gonna matter at some point they will but eventually me, I don't know if here, so here's my but the way we talk about LeBron's minutes and the way that it has been written about by like really really smart people to me like when we don't like. When you write about him and just, like, take the data and don't, like, think, okay, like, if you know that LeBron is this um, guy who's going to, like, do spend a lot of money, get in those chambers, like, do all this crazy stuff to keep his body fresh, I wonder, like, why we decide that we're going to, like, just doubt, like, him more so than, like, believe that if there's anyone who's not going to do this, it's him. And, like, maybe that's some of the, the me just, like, thinking about seeing what he's done and being, like, more connected to the team, but, like... I just don't know, like, how we can, like, doubt what he's going to do at this point. Like, I will not believe that he's going to be, like, crushed by his minutes until I actually see it happen. And, like, I think when he's managed, like, the guy, the way he manages it, the way you see him visibly move his effort levels, just the vi- – like, Richard Jefferson's Snapchat is just, like, a proof – like, there's a video of LeBron, like, getting out of one of those, like, a hyperbaric oxygen chambers. And he does it all the time. And this guy, like, invests all of his money – like, a lot of money every year into making sure he's, like, ready for this. So I just kind of just – I don't know why we – as a basketball community have like necessarily like just doubted that if there's anyone that was going to buck that it was going to be LeBron. It's one of those things where people hear like a thing that they really care that they really believe like 
it sounds smart. They hear smart people being like, minutes are important, health is important, all this stuff. We want players to have longer careers. And then we just kind of go to the extreme and make arguments for it no matter what. Even if, like, we have LeBron play all these minutes this year. It's like, he really can't be doing this. He's older. We want him playing forever. And it's like, well, what if he really doesn't need that rest? Like, we don't know anything about his body. We don't know anything about all these players' bodies. Well, okay, like, okay, doctors know best. There was that, um, like, he's... Henry Abbott's great. Like, he's the the father of basketball journalism, and he sh- someone should, like, pay him a lots of money to do stuff now that he's no longer with ESPN. But he had that ESPN piece that, like, wrote about LeBron's minutes. LeBron wasn't, like, talked in it, and, like, it, it was like, yeah, we didn't talk to LeBron's trainers and stuff. Like, I just don't know how you can, like, fully judge what he is and, like, how he's managing it when you don't actually know what his program is. You know what I mean? Like I, I think we're just trying to kind of, like... I agree. No, we're 100% we're trying tr- we're to, like, putting find, our, we're... yeah. We're trying, we're trying to figure to find out what's what, going to bring him down. That's, what, yeah, that's we're, what we're doing. Well, not only that. We're trying to figure out what's going to eventually bring him down. Because, exactly. like, at this point, what else is there to talk about? But we're also trying to, like, really establish, like, okay. Because this whole minutes thing is still kind of new. Like, it's not, but it is. No, I so mean, we're no, really no, trying like, to figure out how much yeah, it actually pioneer, matters. Being especially with superstars. Year. Yeah. Tom Habershaw has, like, pioneered that work this year. Like, functionally. That he's, like, carved out that beat. And that has been, like, a new thing within NBA media. Right, it's the first time that I think media and fans have actually really cared about minutes is this season. Yeah. Because, like, the Spurs have been doing this for years and no one cared. But, like, this is the first year I feel like it's actually kind of been a thing. And um, I was listening to uh, – it's also kind of like this – because of that, it's kind of this year's buzzword. I was listening to um, Justin Rowan and Carter Carter's podcast. But uh, Justin had uh, Mort on, Ryan Morton. Mm-hmm. And Mort just kind of went on a rant about how, like, when these buzzwords come in, and one year they had playability, like, is he playable? And, like, how is this, this huge deal that year? And then kind of right is like, well, this year is minutes. Like, how many minutes are they playing? And so it's like, next year, me and I, not, we might not be caring about minutes at all because we'll have moved on to the next, like, buzzword thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a bad theory. I really don't. Um... I mean, it makes sense because, like, I'm a big believer in, like, you want to keep players healthy. Like, if you want to keep... But I also think that if LeBron thinks he can play 40 minutes, as long as he's, like, he feels that he's healthy, like, let him go. Like, it's his career. Let him do what he wants to do with his career. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think, like, again, like, if there's anybody that has just sort of been outwardly insane about how he's managing his minutes, it's LeBron. Like, I don't know. I just think, like, what we know about him... And, and just kind of what we and also just like the there's a there's a lot that he does that we just like don't have access to like like honestly like LeBron's probably gonna have a book someday you know um I don't know if he will I I think I think, I think so I think it'll be like Jordan where someone else writes a book about him yeah okay that's fair um like maybe so like so let's say someone like Windhorst writes like a like a LeBron book I almost, like, want to know, like, a lot about how he managed, like, and how much he spent and, like, the stuff he did with Mike Mancius about, like, how he managed. Because I think that, to me, is, like, there's so much about him that is in this era that is so public and so, like, we know, I mean, just by watching how good he was, right? He can't punch a teammate and then not get, and not have anyone know about it. Right. <laughs> like, if, yeah, and, like, I mean, just even, like, the the, way, the tweeting stuff, like, like, LeBron is, like, the a public star right like it is harder to hide stuff behind closed doors than it was like in the 90s because of the internet i but the stuff we don't know about how he how he's trained how he's managed his body like how he's like approached all of that like even thinking about two two years ago when he lost all that weight and he came back to cleveland and he like made you know had that put his uh 
head on the body, the skinny, like the skinny runner, and like he lost, and he was trying to like be lean and stuff. Like I want to know stuff about that. Like that to me is like a very interesting part of LeBron that we just don't know. And he's sort of in a sense because of how much he's invested in that and how much I'm sure other stars have as well. Like this is something new in the NBA. Like you said that we haven't quite I think figured out how to to fully understand yet. And it's hard to do that I think when you're not having the player input and we're just relying on like outside observations and data. In summary, we are not doctors. <laughs> yeah, we're not doctors, and like we're not mi- we're not mind readers, and we just don't know. Like, and I I kind of think there that's like a very interesting th- that that to me is one of the things about LeBron that I'm probably most fascinated by, like just how he's like like every every other every other guy that is like like guys break down that just happens, but like LeBron is like bucking that. I kind of like why does he do it as opposed to like he's doomed. Like I kind of think that's a more interesting question. It's a more con- I don't know. I think it's I don't know if he's. I think it's more like interesting. I just think it's like the more like an interesting, important question than like is when is he gonna break down? Yeah, I think that's a more interesting question than when he's gonna break down. But I do think the age will eventually show if he doesn't retire. Oh, I mean, first. no, like, I mean, no, hundred percent. Like it's inevitable. And like I, I just I don't know how you feel about this. I just think it's probably gonna happen. It like, also when it, like, when it happens, like it will be. It'll be that is when I will like believe it. Like until I functionally see it for like more than a week in the playoffs then I'll oh right what do you see for an entire season and even then we might have to see for a second season just to be sure with how many players like have old have seasons where they look old and come back the next year and look fresh again mm-hmm. but uh, another thing about this is lebron is also someone that came in one of those guys who came in super young we didn't used to have these guys who came in at 18 19 years old into the nba like he's only 32 mm-hmm. and i get that the, that's still the wrong side of 30 but like we have players that play till 35, 36, and don't really show that age until that point. So, like, if we're going to base this on age or anything, like, he could, he could possibly still have a good, another good, like, four years ahead of him. Right. I would agree with that. Um, and do you have any other takes about where the Cavs are at right now? Do you have a take on the defense? Do you have a take on Kyrie and Love? Like, where, where do you stand on the Cavs right now? Um, I think with the Cavs is, like, I feel like they're a lot of what we expected them to be. Like, they went through the regular season, and they kind of tried when they needed to. The defense still does concern me a little in the sense that, like, they're playing good defense, but it's sporadic. And I don't like that in the sense that when they actually have to play a team like the Warriors or like the Spurs or like the Rockets in the finals, that they are going to have, like, you can't play sporadic defense against that because they can just go on runs way too quickly. So my okay, this is this is what I think. This is kind of where I stand in this, and we have one more thing we're gonna uh, talk about. I think with the defense, I think the way they're playing with the, they didn't do this necessarily as much in Game Three against Toronto. I don't really know why it didn't seem like they did it as much or is with with as much effort. They tra- they've trapped the Rosen a lot, and they trapped Paul George a lot. They're letting Jr. kind of hang out over there, and LeBron is playing this like center field role. Yeah, he's playing free safety. Yeah, he's like function. Yeah, he's playing free safety. That's a better way of putting it. He, uh, like, I could see that working against San Antonio, probably. San Antonio, uh, of the three teams I mentioned, San Antonio yeah. is definitely the weakest offensive team. Right. Houston might be tricky, but if you can scramble well enough around those three point shooters and, and Tristan kind of dominates their big. We did see last night what happens when you shut down Harden. Or right. well, not when you shut down Harden, when you force them to take a lot of mid range shots. Right, and if, I think the Cavs could functionally like replicate a lot of that. I do. Like, I think Harden might have like, a couple of crazy games, but you know. The, but the team they're most likely to face is Golden State. 
and I don't know how much of what they're doing right now like is replicable. So if you look at how they would have to match, if they're if they're they're their starting five, I think, would be fine, right? Like, That's think... a, well. I should I should clarify. Yeah, I guess the seats mentioned the starting lineup's fine. Like it's the it's the small like, line. It's the small yeah, lineup where you get. In it's the, the be- it's the bench. It's when they go to the bench. It's when they have to take LeBron out. It's when Kyrie Irving is out there by himself and he has to go up against and he doesn't have much help behind him. Like I don't know why they would ever play Kyrie without Tristan Thompson, but like maybe that happens. I mean, like, they, just... they've done that a little bit with Channing Fry, and they're they're cutting. You've seen the last two games. Um, we're getting a little bit less of Fry. Like we're seeing Tristan log more and more minutes. His, his um, defensive because, issues are kind of showing through. Right. Like I think if you're gonna see Fry now, I almost think you might need to like pull Tristan out earlier and then go like just like try to bombard teams with Love and Fry for like five minutes at the end of the first. I'd like that because I don't think that I'm not trying to bash Kyrie Kyrie Irving's defense. Just like because I feel like for as good a player as he is, he gets bashed for that way too much. But I when feel the, like especially should... when like functionally when there's like other point guards that are like at similar levels that are like as <laughs> that are bad just or as, worse. that are just as good or bad like yeah it's... I, like I and I but I I think I it's another discussion that we should have in the off season um and you're, this is my invite to you for that I think there are like I think it's sort of just like uh, public posturing that some I think it's some of that is just like how Curry presents himself and just the 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 look of how he does it is sort of probably why he gets he has that sleepy eyes problem where he looks like he's not trying yeah and like dame doesn't really do that uh isaiah i think like and isaiah they i think like statistically i mean isaiah's been better than Kyrie this year too like that's worth noting but i i will say Kyrie, sticking this a little he does like he like 100 there are times where he doesn't try no oh it's it's is visible and it's 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 annoying to see it's annoying to see from a viewer standpoint but at the same time the cast are really good so it doesn't matter that much but like anyways um on the but yeah i won't never play Kyrie without tristan thompson behind him because even though Kyrie's like he's gonna try in the playoffs like but still like he's not a strong enough defender to where if someone like let's say you ran Harden or Curry and Irving's on him for whatever reason, and he gets ran in the pick and roll, if you don't have Thompson back there playing like or LeBron out there playing like as his backup behind him, like that could get really bad really mm-hmm. fast. Like just and that is where I see the Cavs defense being at its weakest point. Not that I think it's gonna overall be terrible, but just those little tiny runs that can like build up over the throughout the course of a game and all of a sudden like they've been holding on as long as they can, and just all of a sudden it's a fifteen-point game, and it's the fourth quarter. Yeah, I wrote I wrote about this um, in that Kyrie thing I mentioned before. Like I think Kyrie, like part of the reason I, I do think the Cavs have struggled without LeBron is that Kyrie gets in this like solo attack mode, like he gets in this like uh, phone booth complex where he just tries yeah, to he, dominate. He thinks his he guy. needs. To, he tries to like kind of take over in a sense, and yeah, he's more Kobe than LeBron. Like let's yes. just, let's just be frank about it. Uh, I think when he's looking for other guys and, like, actively, like, trying to find other guys, I think it just makes a really big difference for how the Cavs flow. Um, I mean, I think against Golden State, you would probably see LeBron maybe only rest, like, for, like, two to three minute spurts at most. Like, I think that's kind of where you kind of have to be. Um, Like, end of the first and then end of the third is kind of where you get, like, those little spurts, and then we'll see how that goes. The thing I have with how the Cavs have played defensively with – so far at least is i think the the way that lebron is roaming i th- i i kind of think you maybe like Kyrie is probably going to end up defending curry right that's fine like yeah i mean i think that's fine he did it well he's done it well pretty well the last two years i i would argue 
um, just as well as you're going to guard Curry. You know, like he's putting in like effort. I think Kyrie like rises to that matchup. Um, you know, do also he... as good, also as good as Curry is, like a lot of what he does is in the pick and roll game. Like he's he has a great handle, but he's not this guy that. He's not Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving. He's shaking off his defender with purely his handles. He usually uses uh, handlers to help him right. out a little there. Yeah, and then he gets that space and he just fires because it's, it's yeah. It's when he gets switches on guys like Rudy Gobert that like you see him like just absolutely eviscerate people. Right. Um. You know. Yeah. Then you have Clay, and then you have and and you have, um. And you have. I think against the starting lineup, like Tristan's probably defending Draymond. Um, I think LeBron might be on Clay. The problem. Ooh, that's. I just, I just think they might try to keep LeBron in that like, in that free safety mode. Yeah, and I don't know if I love that. Um, I think it depends because, like, because, like, I mean, when Javale comes out, like, the Cavs should roast Javale. Like, I think Javale might be. They should run good. him through the pick and roll every time. I maintain that Javale McGee is not good. So, like, <laughs> as a defender, one hundred percent agree. Like, like, I like him dunk I, him dunking is a product of him playing with the Warriors. Like, he's not actually good. I think he's. He's better than he was. I don't think he's like just this. I still, I'm probably gonna be the last person that ever believes that he's actually gonna be like a majorly useful player. Correct. Um, I think what they're gonna do in that series, if they want to have LeBron and that's in that free safety role, is a lot harder. Just functionally gonna be a lot harder to do. I and I just don't know how replicable what they're doing right now is against a team like Golden State that has secondary creators that. Um, can do stuff. The The thing where I think it gets interesting is Golden State, for as good as they are on offense, and Kerr has talked about this, and, and Ethan Sherwood Strout, someone hire him too, um, just wrote, a, like, wrote about this in that big Curry piece he just had. Like, they're not great when it gets to, like, doing... The Cavs have, like, to maybe do a fall, have that Kyrie LeBron pick and roll they can lean on. The Warriors' version of that with Durant and Curry, it hasn't worked quite as well this year. They very much are predicated on moving the ball side to side and doing all that stuff. And if the Cavs rotate really well like they have in spurts so far, maybe they can get away with stuff. But I think that's that's being very wishful in terms of everything sort of breaking correctly. I will say if they're in a – like if they're t- it's a tie game with 30 seconds left, I think that favors Cleveland more than it's favored Golden State this year. I don't necessarily disagree with that. But we're going to we'll get there. Because they've just been holding the ball so much, but yeah, we we got a whole other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if any Celtics or uh, Wizards fans are listening to this, they're probably really pissed off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's not get into that. Ugh, that Kelly Olynyk thing is just already like eviscerated my mentions last day. But uh, last thing we're going to talk about, David Griffin. Um, I don't want to speak to your, you know, uh, like fan, ma- Magic fandom or whatever, but. They're one of two teams interested in, in Griffin, and now the Hawks are added to that list. I don't. We don't need to go too deep into this, but I mean, what do you what what do you how do you read this? Because I think it's very clearly a Dan Gilbert's skeptical of paying money for him, and I feel kind of that that to me feels kind of weird. At first, that's what I thought it was. At first, I was like, oh, this is just uh, Griffin using, uh, <laughs> ironically enough, using the media as a way to get more money through ownership. Like I thought that's what it was. Like he was sending a message: I can still leave if I want to. But then more reports came out that the Magic were waiting on a couple teams to finish the playoffs before they interviewed guys, and that the Magic were still really interested in David Griffin. And then the Hawks came up as a name, and now I'm really and plus it's a uh, is David Griffin GM or president? I think it's just GM. He's the Cash, vice. Right? He's the vice president. So if he moved to Atlanta, where Budenholzer just stepped down, or to Orlando, where there's that power of there's a there's a lack of structure there. Um, he would have complete and total control. Right. Like, and I think he, I mean, I think to an extent he has that with the Cavs, 
but I, I mean, if you read the Wendy McMenamin book about the Cavs, there are moments where him and him and Dan Gilbert have disagreed on things. Um, and Gilbert has had, they've had differing opinions and maybe that plays into something too. And maybe he just wants like a new challenge. Like if he's done what he's done in Cleveland, maybe he wants something different. Right. Um, one, so like, well, I initially was definitely in the camp of, oh, this is just him trying to get some money, which good for him, get as much money as you can. I really do think that there is an actual interest now to maybe go off to a new team, maybe build, maybe kind of have a little bit more say because I really dislike the whole – I really dislike discrediting him as like, oh, it's LeBron's team. But it definitely has a lot of LeBron influence in the sense that he goes and gets guys that LeBron wants. So maybe there is a sense that he feels that I want to go build my team the way I want to build it, and I want total control over this. And he might have a better chance of doing that in Orlando or Atlanta than he would in Cleveland. But at the same time, it's really hard to see a guy leaving where he has, for the most part, pretty good control over the team – and wins championships to go, like, start new. Yeah. Um, I could see that, and I think, to that, like, him just getting a role like that would be really interesting. I think he certainly, like, deserves that sort of title and that sort of prestige. Um, but I think for the Cavs, again, like, it would be a loss. And, and it, let's end on this, Chris. If you were him, which one of those jobs is more appealing to you? Um, if I had to rank, well, for me personally, <laughs> um... I really have to kind of look at this in the sense that if he really wants to go build new, like if he wants, if he feels like this team isn't my identity, then I would put Orlando first because I feel like that team is the most fresh. It's the most raw. He can really go do whatever he wants there. I think Alex Martin's learned that with his tenure with Rob Hennigan that no, I can't actually build a team. I should probably meddle a little less, which is probably why they're looking for a president of basketball operations and a general manager. Um, I don't like Atlanta. I think ownership's about to get really meddlesome there. Like that's really cons- Atlanta's really concerning, and they they're obsessed with staying in the playoffs right now. Like that's just factual. If you yeah. look at every if you look at every step they've made, they look like they're really desperate to stay relevant and not miss the playoffs for the foreseeable future. Um, so I put Atlanta at the bottom. So really, it's kind of like it depends on what Griffin wants because if he just cares about winning, then Cleveland's the most the best option. Get your money and stay in Cleveland. But if he really does want to um, build his own, like, identity and maybe kind of get a little bit more control over what's going on in the day-to-day, then Orlando would be the best spot for him because he could really control how that team goes in the future. Yeah, I think um, I think if he's going to leave, like, Atlanta is interesting, but I think it would be harder to tear them down than it would be to do Orlando. And, and If he went like, to Atlanta, I'd be so confused because I just – don't get why you would leave a team where you don't have full control to a team where you might have even less control. I mean, I think if he's leaving, he's got to get it. Got to get the, a president's job. Like I think. Well, it'd be a president's like, job, but ownership in Atlanta is going to be. Real. I really think they're going to meddle a lot. Yeah. So if that happens, I guess yeah. But if he goes to Orlando, I think the thing is like there are still like things there where you'd have to kind of, you'd have to make quick decisions on things like Eric Gordon, Aaron Gordon, uh, on Alfred Payton. Um, on Frank Vogel, like you have tough decisions to make there too, but it's it's probably easier to kind of retool that in your image uh, than it would be there. And the one thing that I've always I, and there's the the thing with Atlanta too is that there's a, a Phoenix connection. He's friends with part owner Grant Hill, who we work with in Phoenix. And I've always wondered if Griff if the Phoenix job came open, if Griff if that would be something Griffin would want because he's from Phoenix, worked there for a long time. I kind of wonder if that would always be something for him as just pure speculation that if that opened up, if they got rid of McDonough, 
um, that that could be something for him too. Maybe I don't know if he'd want to go work with Robert. It depends. Well, like, yeah, I mean, it really worked... depends how much he wants to work with uh, with certain owners. Yeah, I mean, but he worked for in Phoenix for years, like, and he stayed there for a long time. So I don't know. That's just so that's maybe just he's used to Robert Sarver. Yeah, right. Like maybe maybe he is the. And I feel like he's earned the right to have like pushback against owners at this point. I would hope so. Like the fact that there are still people who are like, eh, it's LeBron's team. Like. Ugh. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, like, it's, it's does, does he go out and get does he go out and get guys LeBron once? Yes. Has he also gone out and gotten guys like Kyle Corder? Yes. And he has he has he pushed back against what LeBron has said the team needs publicly? Yes. <laughs> like he does it. Like he's incredibly good at keeping his players and his owner in the sense happy. Yeah. Uh, if you want a lot about David Griffin, I think the two most interesting figures besides LeBron in that Windhorse McMenamin book. Um, if you've read it, if you want to read it, David Griffin and Tyron Lue. One hundred percent to me, those are the two most interesting characters in that book. Well, yeah, Tyron Lue got stepped over once. Of course, he's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I feel so. There, there are probably guys who like see him as like you're the guy that got stepped over by Allen Iverson. <laughs> yeah, and then he's just like he, I don't think he I he's. He's such an interesting guy. Like, he doesn't, like, talk to the media, and it's just really interesting. Like, when guys are like that, and he just so clearly is just like, I just want to do basketball stuff, that to me is always kind of, like, an interesting, uh, like, personality. He has probably experienced, Lewis probably experienced more, like, basketball teams and cultures than, like, most other coaches, just from his playing career alone. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to put... Working in Boston and working in L.A. Right, he... Like, yeah. He started off with the Lakers... Which, by the way, um, the game Tony Parker missed the other day, um, that was the first time Tony Parker's missed a playoff game since, like, 2001. Yeah. In a I, game that Tyrell Lou and uh, Tony Steve, Parker both played. I think Steve Kerr played or that not game, Steve too. Steve Kerr. Steve yeah, Kerr, yeah. I saw that. I was like, a, I saw that graphic, and I was like, holy crap. That's weird. Okay, so teams that Tyrell Lou played for. He played with the early Lakers, the Shaq Kobe Lakers. He played on a Washington team. He played on that horrendous 2004 Orlando Magic team. I remember that very well. He was on Houston. He was on Atlanta. He was on Dallas for a little while. He was in Milwaukee for thirty games. Like that dude's experienced a lot of different NBA cultures. Like he knows, he knows well-ran teams. He knows dysfunctional teams. Like that dude just understands. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, thank you as always uh, for coming on. We got through the Griffin stuff, got through the Cavs, and as always, you have an open invitation uh, to come back on. I will gladly use that. Yeah, you can just shoot me a DM at like two in the morning, and and we'll. We'll figure that out. Uh, real quick, you have a, do you think the Cavs sweep on Sunday? Uh, I say yeah. Yes. I, yeah, because Kyle Lowry's hurt. Yeah, and I'm rooting for my I, sweep. My I sleep picked, schedule's rooting for a, a sweep. I picked um, – initially I picked Cleveland in five because I thought this was a better – actually, it, it is a better Toronto team that won, that, that won two games last year. But just the injuries are too much. And I think the Cavs are a little bit more motivated to get out of there in a week. Yeah, I think they – I think – we were just talking about rest. I think LeBron likes that extra rest. Kyle Korver straight up said in a in a quote that they're playing to get a week off. I mean, light years. Do, Hashtag light years. Do you, man? Do you? Yeah, I mean, dude, if you could tell, if I could work hard enough to get a week off, I would probably do it too. At what point does Cleveland take a vacation in the middle of the playoffs? Dude, in the regular next year, just group, they'll use the the two way contracts. LeBron, Kyrie, and Love will just go to. Go to the the islands. Go to Bahamas. Yeah, go to that'd go be to, yeah, or just go in full like troll mode. Go to South Beach or something. That'd be the Giants uh, boat picture. Yeah, like. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, get the boat pic, the Cavs boat picture. Oh, be incredible. Uh, but Chris, banana just, boat. Yeah, dude, if they got the they like took a vacation with the banana boat crew. Oh my god, I'm in. 
I'm all the way in on dumb NBA stuff. But uh, this has been Locked on Cavaliers. We'll be back on Monday, Game 4 recap. Uh, it's again Chris Manning with guest Chris Barnwell. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Napa it takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17